From childhood, we talk about Jonah and the whale. Yet here is a man with a mission from God, getting ready to go down into the darkness of a mind. But he didn't just end up in a whale's belly. There was a reason for him being there. You can run, but you can't hide. The Bible says, where can I go to get away from his presence? If I go down into the earth, he is there. If I make my bed in the bottom of the sea, he is there. If I ascend up into the heavens, he is there. We cannot escape God. He is there. Well, hello, Grace Family Church. My name is Hal Mayer. I'm the campus pastor at the Temple Terrace campus, but I'd like to welcome all of you here, all of you that are watching online. And of course, at all of our seven campuses, we got our Lutz campus in here. Give it up for Lutz. Yeah, we got our Carrollwood campus, our South Tampa campus, our Clearwater campus, which is fully launching this Easter Sunday, which is awesome. Let's give it up for them. Our Ebor campus, our Lando Lakes campus, and of course, my home campus, the Temple Terrace campus. And so I just want to catch you up real quick on Jonah. God said to Jonah, he said, hey, I want you to go to Nineveh. He doesn't want to go to Nineveh. He gets on a boat. God sends a storm. They throw him overboard. God sends a big fish. The fish picks up Jonah. Reminder, the story is not about the fish. It's just a godly Uber that gets him there. Fish drops him off on the shores of Nineveh. God speaks to him again. Jonah goes into Nineveh. In Hebrew, Jonah says five words, five. Basically, turn or burn 40 days. All he says, 120,000 people turn their lives over to God. So, so, such a crazy miracle. The king over the Ninevites at that time gets off of his throne, declares a nationwide fast. And because of their reaction in this moment, God says at the end of chapter three, he goes, I'm not going to destroy the Ninevites. And in this moment, it's a, it's, a, it's a crazy moment. The end of this book is not what we expect it to be because Jonah's in a place where truly I think this, he thinks what he's doing is way more important than it actually is. And let me just say it like this. It's kind of like when I was a kid helping my dad do things. Anybody ever have to go through the, the fun and traumatic event of holding the light while your dad's working on the car? Or anybody else? Yeah, look, look, I don't think it's possible to hold it there. I don't, and if I see a lizard, I'm gonna look at it. Right, should we be yelling at the eight-year-old with ADD or we should be yelling at the person that put them with the light, right? But we did, we did a bunch of other projects throughout the house and we would do different things. And one day we decided to build some shelves in the, in, in the garage. And so we're building these shelves and my job was very simple. If my dad needed a tool, I'm handing him the tool. If my dad needed a screw or a nail, I'm handing him those things. Am I doing a good job of this? All right. I'm knocking over the screws several times, having to pick them up. I'm running to go get things and knocking things over. When my dad asked me to you know, drive this nail in, I'm hitting it sideways right off the bat. Like, I, I'm there, I'm kind of helping, but we finally get up the entire shelf and we put it up in the garage. And my dad goes, look at what we did. I'm like, yes, we did. And I go, I run into my mom, I'm like, mom, come look at the shelves we built. She's like, wow, you guys did a great job. Now, was my part really that significant? No, I, I'm pretty sure my entire contribution could have been done better by a tool belt. But my dad was allowing me to be a part of something, 
to be a part of it, to see how it's done, and therefore I can join in him in the joy of building something and bringing it together. Here's what I'm saying. So many times when God uses us to do something, we start to believe it's all about us and not about God. We start to believe our part is just as important. God has never looked down on Grace Family Church and said, oh, thank me, how's there? He's never said that. He's never like, oh, it's a good thing they have how. No, he's never said that, why? Because really, God has never been impressed with skill or talent or success. You know what God's impressed with? Obedience. It's interesting, you see that in Paul, towards the end of his ministry, he says, when I go to heaven, I wanna hear these words, well done, good and faithful servant. Not well done, good and talented servant, or well done, good and influential servant, or well done, good and successful servant. But well done, good and faithful servant. See, to this point in the story, we're, we're looking at this and we're going, man, Jonah must be on cloud nine. Jonah must think this is an awesome thing. And what we would think would happen is they would, the people would wrap their rounds, arms around Jonah. Jonah would become their prophet. He'd meet this nice Ninevite woman. They'd have babies there and he would be revered. But that's not at all what we see. What we see is this, is that Jonah takes himself way too seriously and he doesn't take God serious enough. So when we look in Jonah 4, this is the way it starts off. God had just said, I am not going to demolish Nineveh. And Jonah 4.1, this is his response. This change of plans greatly upset Jonah. And he was very angry. Jonah just led the largest revival, one day revival in history, probably to this day. And because, because his heart's in the wrong place, he's mad about it. He's angry about it. He, he's mad that God didn't come to him and say, hey, Jonah, what do you think I should do? God did what only God can do, and he did what he did. He changed the hearts of 120,000 people. Then in verses two and three, he goes on and says, so he complained to the Lord about it. Didn't I say before I left home that you would do this, Lord? This is why I ran to Tarshish. And then he begins to explain God's good attributes, but like he's mad about it. He's like, I knew that you're merciful and compassionate. God, you're slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. Why do you have so much unfailing love, God? I hate that about you. He's like, you are eager to turn back from destroying people. Come on, just destroy people, God. And then he's so angry, he says this, just kill me now, Lord. I'd rather be dead than alive if what I predicted happened. Look, we may not be able to get Jonah's anger on this level, but we can all understand this. We've all been angry at God, right? We've all been frustrated. We've all been mad. And really what I wanna start off with is this, is we should pay attention to our anger. What makes you angry? What makes you mad? What causes you to become angry? What keeps you angry? Because I will tell you this, what you're angry about reveals your heart. See, Jesus actually said it this way. He says, what comes out of your mouth is the overflow of your heart. So what comes out in an instance, in a moment, is not just because you're hungry or you're tired or you had decaf this morning. It's because it's what's in your heart. Here's the other thing. If, if what you're angry about, is God angry about the same thing? Here's even worse. It, is what you're angry about, is God happy about it? Does God want that? to happen? 
See, here's the truth. Not all anger is bad. There's something in the Bible called righteous anger. And righteous anger is something that we see Jesus has. Jesus walks up into the temple. He sees the temple is basically robbing people of money. They were bringing animals to be sacrificed in the temple. People were saying, hey, um, this isn't good enough, but you can buy a temple version of that for four times as much. And they were making money off of people. Jesus gets so angry, he fashions a whip, flips tables and sends people out. Why? Because it's a righteous anger. People were abusing the place that should be the place where people can go and know they're not gonna be taken advantage of. So you can have a righteous anger. You can look out in the world. You can see things that are unjustice. You can see things that shouldn't happen. You can see people that aren't being cared for, people that are being taken advantage of. And that anger can drive you to do big things if our hearts aligned with God's. See, a righteous anger is beneficial. Our anger just takes away. See, Jonah has a sense of entitlement in this moment. He's going, God, I don't think you understand. I'm the prophet here. I just led 120,000 people to you with five words. See, Jonah's not mad that God saves people. He just doesn't like the people he saves. He doesn't think they're worth it. Let me say it a different way. Jonah doesn't like the fact that God's blessing somebody else. Let me ask you this question. How do you respond when God blesses someone else? Are you, are you truly happy for them? Or are you jealous? Are you mad? Do you start to compare? When somebody gets a blessing that you thought you should have had, do you start to compare your life and go, God, I'm doing more of what you want. You should be blessing me. Like if the person at your work gets the promotion that you thought you should have had, you're going, God, I, that shouldn't have happened. I'm the better person following after you. Or singles, when that person that's only been coming around for the past six months finds the person they're gonna marry and you're like, whoa, whoa, God, I've been doing this single thing for 10 years. Where's my husband or where's my wife? Right? How do you respond? Are you joyful in the fact that God is doing something good in somebody's life or are you jealous that it's not happening in your life? Jonah's so mad and depressed that he wants to die. He tells God, I want you to kill me, which is kind of funny in the fact that he wouldn't jump off the boat on his own. Now he's going, God, I should die, but please, you do it. But here's the question for you. Does Jonah have a good theology of who God is? He does. He knows God's compassionate, God's loving, God's slow to get angry. See, Jonah has a good theology, but he has a bad heart which hear me on this, that is the most dangerous Christian out there. Someone who understands God, understands the Bible, but their heart is in the wrong place. So what they start to do is they start to use the Bible to push people down instead of pulling them up. They start to use the, God's word in order to, to hurt people instead of heal people. They start to use God's words to separate and create tears instead of realizing that we're all on the same level. See, Jonah, actually, when he's quoting this verse, he's quoting Moses. And what Moses is, well, actually, he's quoting God when God was talking to Moses. And this verse is the most used verse in the Bible. And God is saying this to Moses at this point. You see, Moses, he had all the Israelite people, and he's about to go on Mount Sinai to get the Ten Commandments. Basically, this is the way we're going to live our lives. So he goes up on the mountain for 40 days. 40 days, he leaves the Israelites alone for 40 days. He comes off the mountain. He's literally glowing because he was in the presence of God. With the 10 commandments, he looks down. They've already built this massive statue to another God. 
And these other gods, the way that you worship those gods includes sexual perversion and many other things. So he's looking at the 10 commandments and going, they've already broken all of them. In 40 days, he is angry, he is mad. And then God speaks to him in Exodus 34, six. Says the Lord passed in front of Moses calling out Yahweh the Lord, the Lord God of compassion and mercy. I am slow to anger and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. Jonah has a good theology but a bad heart. He doesn't hate God, he just hates what God does. And at the heart of this, it's racism, it's prejudice. It's discrimination. He's deciding, God, you can only love these people, but these people you can't. And while, we, while I wish that we didn't see that anymore in today's world, we do, we do, we discriminate. And there's a couple reasons why, and the first one is this, is because our hurt becomes hate. So often, I think, in our lives, our hurt becomes hate. I mean, this makes sense for Jonah, doesn't it? I mean, the Syrians were awful people, military empire. They would come through, they would kill all the men, rape all the women, make all the children slaves. These are awful, awful people. But wouldn't those be the people that you would hope would see God? See, if you live in life, guys, we're gonna be hurt. It's gonna happen. But my question for you is this, is when you're hurt, do you then look at that person when they've hurt you and you don't want anything good for them to the point where if you see them go to church, you're mad about it? The person that hurt you, that stole from you, the person that did some things to you, they should not be let back in your life, but have you gotten to the point where you go, I don't even want them to meet God? See, if hurt goes unchecked, it turns to a hate it separates us. Here's one we see, and, and really we see this all the time in church. It's preferences become prejudice. And here, here's what that looks like. Well, do we, do we all believe that Jesus is the son of God? Yes, but I don't like the music that they sing. I don't like the way their building looks. I don't like the way they baptize. I don't like that the pastor wears holes in his jeans. Not Not today. I don't like all these things. And what we start to do is this, is we start to have a prejudice against another side. So we talk bad about other churches that are doing God's work. Here's the problem, Grace Family Church. We're not big enough to reach all of Tampa. We need as many churches as possible that love Jesus and will bring them to him. And on top of that, Jesus said to his disciples, you will know, they will know that you are my disciples by what? By the way you love one another. Have your preferences. The way that you like to do things cause you to put other places down just because you don't like the way that they work. And here's the, here's the toughest one. What we idolize, we will then demonize. If we idolize something, we will end up demonizing it. I mean, we've seen this throughout history. You idolize your race, you demonize another race. My race is this, my race is that, and therefore your race is less than. You can idolize a country. This is what Jonah's doing right now, isn't he? He's going, no, 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 God, you understand. My, my nation is your nation. You, you, I'm God's people. Your love is only for us. You can only help us. You can only succeed us. Sound like people nowadays? Guys, hear me on this. I absolutely love being an American. It is amazing that we get to do what we get to do. I am blessed to live in this country. But the moment we believe that God loves us as Americans more than anybody else, We've missed it. 
we've missed it. I mean, how many times from this stage have we said, there's nothing you can do that could cause God to love you less or love you anymore, but all of a sudden we think if you live outside of these borders, that's the case. We do it with race, we do it with that, we do it with political parties. And here's the problem with idolizing a political party. There's always a downfall of a political party. If you idolize it, you go with all of it. And guess what? Every single political party has things that are about it that are not Christian. We've got to realize we're Christians first and then we can be involved in politics. We can idolize the rich and look at the poor and call them lazy. We can idolize the poor and call all the rich greedy. We can idolize the young or idolize the old and look at the other. Here's what happens though, we end up doing this, we group people up and we say, we are the good people, they are the bad people and I'm so happy there's a hell for people like them. See, it separates. This is Jonah's view. Jonah is becoming more and more religious in this. He's going, you don't understand, look, I want to judge them by their actions but God, I want you to judge me by my intentions. Because didn't he just hear directly from God twice? He's like, no, 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 you understand, it wasn't my fault. You know, I I was in a tough position. You know, this was going on in my life. No, 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 but your actions, no, that's, that's exactly who you are. This is such an important point. God has empathy and compassion for all people, all people. And if we don't get this as a church, it's tragic. The fact that we would not reach out to a certain demographic or certain people or certain neighborhoods or certain areas as a church would be tragic. We would be limiting what God could do in those moments. We're deciding not to be a part of what God is gonna do. And we're doing the opposite of what God called us to do and we're not showing them the love of God. Jonah is in a bad place right now. His heart is in the wrong place. And so what God does in this moment, instead of yelling at him, he tries to focus at him and he starts to ask questions. He says this in Jonah 4.4, is it right for you to be angry about this? This is great. He's like, Jonah, are you really angry about this? Are you really mad about this? Because this is what our heavenly father does and this is what we ought to do. I mean, it reminds me so much of foster care. And in foster care, we've been doing it now for six years. And many times we'll have kids that have what's called trauma responses, which means where a normal kid would freak out a little bit, they freak out a lot more. And one of the biggest ways that they do that is anytime in transition. And so if you're going from one place to the next, one activity to the next, they could have this big freak out. And we had a kid while we were in, uh, in the South Tampa campus and he would go around, he would hug everybody, he loved everybody. He was an awesome kid 99% of the time. But the moment you had to leave, he falls down on the ground, screams and yells and flails about, which is great for me. Like whose kid is that? Oh, that's Pastor House. What did he do to him? I don't know, it must've been pretty bad. Like full freak out. And you know what I wanna say to him? Well, I can hear my dad in the back, back of my head. If you don't stop crying, I'm gonna give you something to cry about. Which I never understood as a kid. I'm like, I have something to cry about. We're good. 
But what are you supposed to do in those moments with a kid that's freaking out? You're supposed to get down on their level and talk to them and ask them questions because you're trying to engage the non-emotional side of their brain. What is God trying to do? He's trying to help Jonah get out of the emotional and see what he is doing in this moment. But then we see Jonah's response in verses five and six. It says, then Jonah went out to the east side of the city and made a shelter to sit under as he waited to see what was happening to the city. He actually goes to the highest point. Some people say it's on a mountain. Basically, he's up high and he's looking over the entire city because he is hoping this. Yes, they repented, but we've got 39 days and maybe they'll mess up and God will take them out. It says, and the Lord arranged for a leafy plant to grow there, and soon it spread its broad leaves over Jonah's head, shading him from the sun. This eased his discomfort, and Jonah was very grateful for the plant. I feel like this is the first thing Jonah's happy about. He's like, I love the plant. Because he's up high, and he's in a desert. It's hot. Right, He is feeling the full weight of the sun for these 39 days. God causes this plant to grow up. And here's what's hilarious is Jonah probably thinks in this moment, God's with me. He agrees with me. But really what's happening is God's literally setting him up for what's next. Look, I need you to understand the Bible is funny. Religious people don't think it is because they're not. (laughs) But it's hilarious. It's not like a laugh out loud humor. It's more of a dry kind of British humor. So here's what happens in verse seven and eight. It says, but God also arranged for a worm. I I say it like that because there's an exclamation point. When the big fish showed up, just regular period. The caterpillar shows up, exclamation point. It says the next morning at dawn, the worm ate through the stem of the plant so that it withered away. And as the sun grew hot, God arranged for a scorching east wind to blow on Jonah. The sun beat down on his head until he grew faint and wished to die. Death is certainly better than living like this, he exclaimed. And before you feel bad for Jonah, does he have to be on top of the mountain? No, he chose to be up there. His situation is fully under his control, but he's like, I'm gonna die because the caterpillar came. Jonah was grateful for the one day, but the rest he feels entitled for. What's interesting is what you see happening here is really a counseling session between God and Jonah, and they're trying to figure out one very big area. Who's in charge? Because where has Jonah put himself? Right, he, he put himself in the judge's place. What is the judge? The judge's exalted. He put himself up high so he could look over and judge the city of Nineveh. The problem is he forgot that God's up higher. And he's mad at God because he's not in charge. And I'll be honest with you, this is the scariest part for me as I read through Jonah. We can be both very successful and very miserable if our heart isn't God's heart. We can be both very successful and very miserable. I mean, how awful would it be for God to be blessing people around you, doing big miracles around you, but you can't see it because your heart's not there? How awful would it be that God used you to change people's lives, but you never saw it because all you were focused on was yourself? That's scary to me. I mean, because if I'm Jonah, this is a different story. I lead 120,000 people to God. I mean, I'm telling everybody about it, right? I mean, we're gonna talk about it. I'm gonna make up shirts that just say, I was that guy. 
Like I'm writing a book, they're gonna make a movie and Bradley Cooper's gonna play me because we're basically the same person. <laughs> people are gonna have to tell me on a regular basis how we're done hearing about the 120,000 people. But that's not where Jonah is right now. Jonah's mad, Jonah's mad because God, you're not giving me what I want. See, that's what we say, God, if you give me what I want, I'll be happy. God says, if you have my heart, you'll be happy with what I give you. If you have God's heart, we'll be happy with what he gives us because we see the blessings. And then in verse nine and 10, it ends. And not in the way that we expect. Says this, then God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry because the plant died? Yes, Jonah retorted, even angry enough to die. He loves that plant. Probably named the plant. Says, and the Lord said, you feel sorry about the plant though you did nothing to put it there. It came quickly and died quickly, but Nineveh has more than 120,000 people in it living in spiritual darkness, not to mention the animals, Jonah. If you don't care about the people, what about the cows? What about the cute little dogs? He's weird. Jonah loves the plant, wants to kill everything else. He's like some sort of weird reverse vegan. He is so into himself right now that he cares more about his comfort than he does about 120,000 people going to hell. And it ends with this. Shouldn't I feel sorry for such a great city? Here's what I take solace from. Even though Jonah's not really wanting to talk to God, God still wants to talk to Jonah. God's still there talking to them. Jonah's trying to convince God. God, they don't deserve it. God's like, neither do you. But they're evil. It's like, I know your thoughts. I follow you around. But God, they're God's going, no, you don't understand. I love all people. What's crazy is right now, the biggest thing that Jonah's struggling with is God's compassion and God's forgiveness, but the entire reason he's alive is because of God's compassion and God's forgiveness. I hope you've realized by this point, Jonah's not the hero. Like, how weird would the history books in Assyria be? Like this man one day was spit out of a whale. He came into our town, said five really angry words. Uh, everyone started to follow his God, but then he went up on the mountain and wished we would die. Like he's not the hero. Jonah's not the hero in the story. God is the hero in the story. And what we see here is the entire book of Jonah is just one big heart check. So let me ask you this. Who's the hero in your story? Who's the hero in your story? Because whoever the hero is, is the one doing the writing. Is your story all about what you're doing? Is it all about what God does? See, but it all starts, it all starts with doing what, what Jonah couldn't do and truly seeing others the way that God does. See, this is my last point. If we see others the way God sees us, then we can love others the way that God loves us. See, the only way we can love others, and if you have people in your life that are hard to love, we have to look at them through the scope of who God is and how he loves them. See, right now, what I, what I wanna do is this, is the band's gonna come out in just a moment. 
We're gonna, they're gonna sing a song called Nineveh. And, and during that song, here's what I want you to do. I don't want you to stand up and worship. I want you to stay seated and worship through prayer. And I want you to ask God. I want you to ask God, God, what is it in my heart that's in the wrong place? God, do I have some pride there? Do I have some anger there? Do I have some racism or prejudice or some hurt that's, that's keeping me from having the heart that you have? And while you're praying, ask God, one, to show you those things, but two, to take them away. Because we have a God that can do heart surgery. And you've never been a Christian so long that we don't need a little bit more. Let me remind you of this. Every part of our heart that's away from God is a part of our heart that's not seeing what God is doing and enjoying and having incredible joy, seeing how God is blessing and loving and caring for other people. So as we get ready to go into that moment, let me pray for us. God, I just thank you for who you are. God, I thank you that you're a God of second chances. You're a God that continues to love us despite the fact that we get it mixed up so many times. God, I pray right now that you would just show us. Show us the things in our heart that are wrong, the places in our heart where we've turned them away from you, whether it be pride, God, or God, the anger in our heart. God, please show us the anger that we have that's not a righteous anger, that's misplaced. God, show us if we've allowed some hurt in our lives to turn into a hate that, that we have used to decide that some people aren't worth your love. God, just reveal our hearts in this moment and do an incredible heart surgery on us all. God, we thank you for that. And in Jesus' name I pray, amen.